This new series that we're starting here is uh, called Co-Missioned. The main outworking of our series is that we want to understand how we've been called together. This portion of co meaning together to mean with, to be called together. We want to live out our collective calling that when Jesus gave the disciples the idea, then he gave them permission, when he gave them authority in the Great Commission, he was not just giving them the authority, he was giving all believers the authority to go out and baptize and make nations, and make his name great in that process. And so the thing that we're going to break down in this series for the next seven weeks is we're looking at the Great Commission itself, and we're looking at how does that outworking of the Spirit, how does that outworking of the authority, how does that life of the Spirit work in our lives? How do we come together in the understanding that we are all united in that same idea of the Spirit? The love of Christ overflows in that. And so we're going to start this week not by looking at the story in Acts of Pentecost, but we're going to look at maybe 20 years down the line in 1 Corinthians as Paul is preaching and teaching to the Corinthian church. He writes to them in this first letter, and we go to the verse, we go to chapter 12 of that letter, um, verses 3 through 13. Paul writes this about being in the Spirit to each of those believers. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another... The performing of miracles to another, prophecy to another, distinguishing between spirits to another, different kinds of tongues to another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ." For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. And so this first week, we want to look at where Paul was speaking, writing to the church in Corinth. And in the context that he's given, the, the portion of the spirit the infighting between each of them, that my gift is better than yours and my gift is um, a, a proof that I have faith and because I can do this or because I can do that, Paul wants to put a stop to all this silly fighting. He wants to say that in all of these things, we need to focus on what is most important in all of these. We want to know that Christ is Lord. We wanna know that Jesus is the Christ. We wanna know that the outworking of the Spirit, the manifestation that the Spirit comes from is for the common good. 
He's not going to give us tongues to speak to each other if we're not using it for the benefit of the community. He's not going to give um, the gift of prophesying or teaching or administration to the church, to individual people, if they're not being used for the common good. And so this, after this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to dwell on this chapter in these verses just for a few moments because we want to see what Paul is actually talking about. What does it mean to be for the common good? What does it mean to see the outworking of the Spirit's, uh, the Spirit's gifts in our lives? So the first thing that Paul wants us to draw us to is that the Spirit's work is unifying in everything that we do. If you look at verses three through six, what we're seeing in those verses is that there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And everything that we're doing, the unifying work of the Spirit works to unveil Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of Jesus Christ and enables us to acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior. And we need to understand that the Jewish festival of Pentecost celebrated the giving of the law. This was, this was the festival that was the remembrance feast for what Moses did on Mount Sinai. And he goes up the mountain and he brings down the law to the people. And there's a feast every year to commemorate this. It's 50 days after Passover. But the Christian holiday that we celebrate today, Pentecost, it's the same name, but it celebrates the giving of the Spirit who fulfills that law. You see, the Bible and, and God in this moment, they do something incredible. That on the day of Pentecost, when we're celebrating the law that God has given, the law that was brought down by Moses, the, the moment that Moses meets God in the flames, in the smoke that appears on the mountain, we celebrate that in the same moment, the church coming together, all these different tongues worshiping God and understanding the Spirit to unify them. The Spirit comes down in that fire and in that smoke once again. The Bible is so interesting when we can draw those conclusions, when we can see the same thing happening there. But we want to emphasize that the miracle at Pentecost, the miracle in Acts 2, is not tongues, but it's unity. Sure, they're all speaking in tongues. They're all speaking the same language of each other. But the miracle here is not that that's actually happened. The miracle here is the unity. It's the bringing together of all of these people. In Acts 2, we see how many different types of people there are. Over, over a dozen nations represented, from Cyrene to Egypt, all across the peninsulas, all across the regions, all speaking their different dialects. But the real miracle here is that all of these people had unity in the spirit. They all became united in the fact that they understood that Jesus is Lord. So Paul focuses on God's work in all this, the source of all of these things, not the manifestations, not the essence of it. 
Paul doesn't really care that the tongues were there at Pentecost. He cares that what the Spirit has done is given us the spirit of unity, has pointed us in the direction of God, has pointed us in the direction of the Lord. But there is a unity in this diversity. Paul speaks again that the Spirit gives each believer a different gift. But these gifts are given for the common good of the body of Christ. We might say it another way, that there's diversity in unity and unity in diversity. So in our diversity, amongst our gifts, amongst our talents, amongst the things that we are good at, there can still be unity in those things. And in fact, when we look at the church and the community, the church and the community is good at doing different things. We have our Pentecostal brothers and sisters who are bathed in the Spirit, who are baked in that moment where the Spirit comes upon them and they, and they worship in that moment. And we have our uh, Lutheran brothers and sisters who are emphasizing grace in all things. Each church brings its own thing. Each idea, each pastor brings a different gift, a different idea. St. Rick of Warren said, different churches for different people. Because the Spirit works in different ways, a diversity. But in that diversity, there is unity. And it's precisely through our diversity that we become unified in these gifts. The body cannot consist solely of a mouth that speaks heavenly and therefore unknown languages. The hand is not an ear, as Paul says. Different activities. The body has so many different parts, and all the parts of that body are one. And so the Spirit gives these different gifts, and again, we cannot look at how the Spirit is giving or what the Spirit is giving, but the why behind the gifts. That the gifts themselves reveal unity in the body of Christ. And we also see utmost dependency on our calling. We are called to be dependent on the Holy Spirit for discernment and understanding of spiritual matters, recognizing that apart from him, we can do nothing. We are, we are working in this, with these gifts that the Spirit has empowered us through. The same God, as he says in verse 6, the same God works all of them in each person. We are utterly dependent on God for these gifts that we receive them, we use them, but they are gifts, not that we work for them, not that we earn them, but they are, they are given freely. And so therefore, we rely on God to empower us through them. And so Paul, in the next section, he draws our attention to the empowering presence of the Spirit. That in everything that we do, every gift that we use for the church, not for ourselves, but for the church itself, is there to empower us through the Spirit. We experience the Spirit's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit equips us with various spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up one another and strengthening the church. A gift of the Spirit can be anything we do easily and well and choose to share as Paul says, for the common good. In fact, that word common good there, it actually means for profit. 
So what we're using for the church, what we're using, the gifts of the Spirit, the outwardness of those gifts, we receive them inward, but the outward flow of those gifts, therefore the profit of everyone, not just for ourselves. So if we if we see someone who uh, you know, claims to speak in tongues or, or continues to prophesy in the name of God, but they're not using it to edify the church, they're not using it for the profit of the church, then we would say that those gifts are fake. They're not real. They're not manifesting themselves in the unity of the church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit edify one another. Frederick Beekner, one of my favorite authors and uh, who we lost this last summer, um, he shares some insight along these lines, and it's memorable and it's very helpful. He says this, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. You see, our gifts are marked by our individual joy and a community need. Your deep gladness Sometimes we think that the manifestations of the Spirit, the things that the Spirit give us, need to be these lofty, uh, spiritual um, things that we can't understand, things that are too uh, hard for us to see. But what Paul is telling us is just the opposite, that where your gladness is met, where you are filled with deep joy, that's where the Spirit is. And Paul begs us, how can you use that to feed the world's hunger? Paul begs us, where you are glad and filled with joy in your life, in your work, how can you use that to meet the world's hunger? There's not very many billionaires that go to churches. Oh, that it were so that billionaires across the globe would be supporting churches but whose needs do billionaires feed? They feed their own. They find joy in whatever it is that they've done, business, enterprise, entrepreneurship, whatever it is that they're good at, they've found joy in it, but they've missed the step of the Spirit. If it was really God-given talent, if it was really something that the Spirit had endowed them with, they would use it to meet the world's hunger. And not just appetite for food, but an appetite for the spirit, an appetite for the outworking of the, of, of the joy of the church and of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so instead they feed themselves. They use their gifts, their talents, their joy, not to feed the world, but to feed themselves, to build bigger empires, to, to find better toys we also need to remember that gifts are not a hierarchy of achievement or a proof of faith. That the Spirit works in the ways that the Spirit works, and it's not ours to judge. And when we look at another church that has a big crowd and uh, a big building and all of these things that we want, we say, how has the Spirit blessed them and not blessed us? But that's a shallow understanding of what the Spirit does. There's no proof of life in what the Spirit gives. The Spirit gives because the Spirit gives. They are grace-filled gifts. It's not achievements that can give us more things from the Spirit. The Spirit has gifted each one of us. 
And we are called then to use those gifts for the church. And when we look at a church that struggles or we look at a church that's small, we would want to meet them in that moment and say, how are we not using our gladness? How are we not using our joy now to fill the church with people that are hungry? A gift of the Spirit is not something earned. Paul tells the Corinthians that their spiritual lives and actions are not about personal worthiness or effort, but pure gift, the result of grace, desire, and activation of the Spirit. They're simply part of who we are. It's not that, oh, I just have to wait for the Spirit to come and fill me with something. I have to wait for the Spirit to give me a gift. No. You've been embodied by something. You've been animated by a spirit who's brought you to this place. With what you already have, that is what the spirit has empowered you with. How can you use what you have for the good of the community? You know, we talk about all of this when we think about generosity, when we think about our money, when we think about how we can use what we have. But what if we're talking in generosity in terms of our bodies? That what we have inward from the Spirit can be worked out through our gift giving, through our lives, through who we already are in meeting the world's Hunger. We, we tend to believe that faith and ministry are a result of personal decisions, agency, and preference, whether we think of ourselves as spiritually worthy or spiritually lacking. But see, the Spirit empowers us to exercise our gifts in harmony, promoting unity and love within the body. Christian community and faith are gifts of the Spirit, not something to be earned. They are to be used for the common good, not ourselves alone. They are gifts not only to us as individuals, but to our entire community, both inside and outside the church. And that's why we think of so many churches for so many different types of people. Because what one church has on the inside and is spreading on the outside, another church has gathered other people with things on the inside that spreads on the outside. And the manifestation of the Spirit in that church affects the community in different ways, through different avenues. And so each one of these things, each one of these gifts, each one of these Spirit manifestations, miracles, healings, and other manifestations of the Spirit's power are evidence of His active presence and work among us. The gifts of the Spirit are not just fun or fanciful, but gifts with revolutionary potential. Despite whatever dazzling displays tongues presented, the primary goal of the indwelling spirit, the indispensable evidence that one is truly spiritual is not tongues, but love. And in the next chapter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth in chapter 13, it's the one everyone reads in weddings all the time. If I do not have love, I am a... Noisy symbol. Nothing means anything if I don't first have love. I can speak in all the tongues. I can have all the gifts of the Spirit that I want, but it doesn't mean anything 
the primary goal of the indwelling of the Spirit is love. The great theologians Stanley Hauerwas and William Williamun would put it this way, to be made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit is to be made part of a community of truth that makes friendship possible in a world of violence and lies. We can't do that on our own. It's these gifts that empower us. It's these gifts that are an embodiment of the Spirit. And in the last two verses, in 12 and 13, Paul asks us to consider then the final portion of what the Spirit's gifts do for us. The unconditional love. To draw each each one of us closer, not just for the purpose of unifying, but for the purpose of love overall. The unconditional uh, gift of love. Paul says that we have this union with Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we are united with Christ and become part of his body, which is the church. And so what brings unity? There's just a two-word statement there in what Paul says. Jesus, Lord. Jesus, Lord. The Greek implies is, but Jesus is Lord. It represents the essential confessions of early Christians. Before baptism, they were asked, what do you believe? And their response was, Jesus is Lord. The Spirit's unconditional love brings us together. And the outworking of those gifts, the outworking of his presence is one of unconditional love. The Spirit does not discriminate. His love transcends all boundaries of race and culture and background. In Ephesians, Paul writes that the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been demolished. It's been ruined. It's been taken right down. By the work of Jesus on the cross, all of that is gone. There is no more except what the Spirit gives. And so when we leave it up to our own manifestations, when we say, you know what, God, I'm going to try and do this myself. I'm going to try and use my gifts for the good of all, but we're missing the point. That the good of all is unconditional love. That the good of all is for profit of the church and for the community that we're in. We're commissioned, we're We're called together in this moment because each of us have been embodied, empowered, endowed with these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Gifts that don't do us any good to hold inside. Gifts that don't do any good for our individual gain, for our matter of sake. The Spirit does not discriminate. And so we are called to love one another, accepting and appreciating our differences, just as the Spirit unifies us in love. And so today we look at this moment. The principal outworking of the Spirit is the unity of God's people. That what the Spirit has come to do, that on that moment in Pentecost, when he comes down from heaven... 
when those tongues of fire are floating among the people, when a mighty rushing wind comes through, when it looks like those people are acting drunk, they're filled with the Spirit, not so that the, po- the power of the Spirit could be shown, not so that um, everyone would understand each other, but it's to bring the unity of God's people to a point. That yes, the tongues worked together so that they could hear the message. Yes, the, the gifts that we receive in the church today work together. But we have to point back to what they do. They bring God's people together. And if we're not using our gifts to bring people together, we're not manifesting the Spirit in that way. So it's during the season of the Spirit's central work, it's not to activate spectacular displays of charisma. It's not to boast in what gifts we've been given. It's not to look upon each other and and say, wow, you are really kind of lacking in your abilities. It's not to say, look at how good I am because I can do this or I've been given this gift or I have worked this out. Look at how spiritual I am because I can do this or speak so eloquently or teach or lead or... But this season of the Spirit's work is to create unity through the diverse gifts of the body of God. My friends, the power of the Holy Spirit is extraordinary. Through his unifying work and empowering presence and unconditional love, we experience the richness of the life in Christ and the vibrant unity of the body of believers. It's my my prayer that through this series, as we look at how we are commissioned, as we are missioned together, as we are living the outworking of the Spirit who everyone has been called to follow, that we continually seek the guidance and empowerment of the Spirit, and we walk in love and unity as we serve one another and impact the world for the glory of God.